So this week, Chantal and myself had a little bit of a downtime. A couple of days we went away. And um, um, the first three days were chaos, you know, we were up and down traveling and doing all that stuff. And uh, it was great because I met so many little awesome families in this week. But awesome families in the sense of families that have been totally isolated from the world. You know, they live on farms, they live, you know, far away from, from civilization, really, at the end of the day. And um, it was great the first couple of days, you know, we did our thing, we were relaxed and we, we went around. And the Thursday, I just, I had this incredible sense in my heart. And, and I thought to myself, oh, you know, this is so tragic that uh, these people haven't got a church to go to. You know, they've got nowhere to have their kids educated in Sunday school. They've got, they got nowhere to, to hear the gospel kind of a thing. And I was pondering on this thing and thinking, wow, you know, there are actually still people in our country, people in our province that have never encountered church, that have never encountered the gospel of Jesus, that have never encountered the word of God. And uh, my first thought was, wow, uh, you know, these people really need some kind of a, uh, you know, a church or a community kind of a thing. Um, and, and, and we need to maybe make some changes kind of thing. And in that moment, I was reminded of a, a scripture in Romans 8. Thank you, Stephen. You read my mind. <laughs> Romans 8 or Romans 10. And I'm going to teach you that now. But there was this real challenge in me that God turned around and He simply said to me, but they don't need a church. They need you. They don't need a building. They need you. And, and it, it, it hit me so hard that there are so many people out there that we think that our nation is so saved and our nation is, you know, radical for Jesus and whatever. But there are people, nations, families out there that have never heard the gospel. They know about God because God has been a generational thing for them. You know, their, their fathers spoke about God, their, their grandmothers spoke about God. But they've had no encounter with him at all. Simply, he's just this guy in the sky kind of a thing that takes care of them. But no relationship, no change, no, no nothing in their lives. And, and I met so many amazing guys, guys that were in their 70s and 80s, old Tampulus, that have never heard the gospel, that have never heard Jesus. And the Thursday when we left, I thought, you know, come on, there's something, you know, there's something brewing in me. And, and, and every time I met one of them, I just put my hand on my shoulder and I, and I just started to speak blessings upon them. And I spoke to Jesus over their lives. And I said, I'm trusting God that it's going to be the seven good years in your lives. These guys have been working on farms for 25, 26, 27 years. And they still live in a shack this big. Nothing has changed. Nothing. And I thought to myself when I walked away, please hear me here. I walked away and I thought to myself, in the last 27 years, Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have been through these, these facilities. I wonder has one man taken time to speak a blessing upon them? To speak a blessing upon their work? To speak a blessing upon their family? To speak a blessing upon their finances? To speak a blessing upon what God's going to do in their lives? And somewhere on the line I realize that we start to miss things a little bit. I think I've been watching the, the cricket and the, you know, every person, captain that speaks you know, the, you know, when they play cricket, they always come back to this. I think if we can do the basics right, we'll be okay. And I think when it comes to Christianity, 
if we can start to do the basics right, we're going to be okay. You've got to understand something, that in the Old Testament, God just spoke to individuals. And so God would then speak to a prophet, a priest, or a king. That's who he would speak to. And if he needed to speak to the nation, it wasn't like God today verbally speaks to all of us. But he would speak to one man, he'd speak to a prophet, Jeremiah or Isaiah. You know, you'd speak to them and give the, the nation the word. And so it was this one-on-one -on -one God that people experienced. And the only encounter God really in the Old Testament when God did some great stuff. And it was wars and famines and all those kinds of things. And we all know that David got set in his heart that he wanted to build a house. He said, God, I want to build you a house that you can dwell in and that we can come and worship you. And everyone says, oh, but the church started in the book of Acts. The church started when Solomon built the temple. And so, so David fails to build the temple. He runs out of time. He son Solomon builds this most amazing structure. And all of a sudden, people are called in to come and to come and worship. But the problem is, is that it never came down to a personal relationship in those days. Everything went around. There were things you had to do to get. Things you had to do to get. And the Jewish nation continued in that. There's nothing wrong with it. But they built their synagogues and they built, you know, their, their churches and all these kinds of things. And so mankind, everybody around, if you wanted to do something, you had to go to the synagogue. You had to go and pray there. You had to go and listen to the word there. You had to go preach there. And we know that Jesus rocks up on the scene and he changes the whole status quo. He almost goes all the way back to, you know, the Old Testament where it's like we preach one-on-one. -on -one. And Jesus goes around the street and he starts this whole church movement kind of a thing. House to house church, you know, gathering in small groups. And, and, and it must have been a quite a thing because of emptying out the synagogues in a sense. You know, because everyone was getting saved and, and nobody was following this formula. Nobody was following these rituals anymore. Nobody was doing what needed to be done. There wasn't any longer sacrifice that needed and the animal blood to be spotted. And so it must have been quite a hard concept thinking that you used to do things like this. You used to go to the altar. You used to bring your, your sheep or your goat or your dove or whatever it might be. You know, you sacrifice it. It would be once a year you disappear. And then all of a sudden, Jesus brings in this teaching where they're just preaching all over the place. And all of a sudden, Jesus heals a man with a funny hand in church or in synagogue. You know, and everyone manifests there almost like, what are you doing? Why are you healing somebody on the Sabbath? And it sounds crazy, but he was asked that question. Why are you healing someone on the Sabbath? And why? Because it was completely different to what they were used to. There was a change that came. And so Jesus brings in this change and, and you know Peter picks it up and Paul picks it up and they run with the church and all of a sudden the church starts to explode and go all over the world and 800 years later Catholicism comes in and all of a sudden wraps up the church again and puts the church back into buildings and puts the church back into hierarchy and structure and hats and caps and garments and incense and smoke and whatever craziness to think, never think about it logically, I'm not even being sarcastic. But this is what we do. This, this is the kind of stuff that we add to the gospel. We add all this craziness to the gospel. We're going to walk around with a stick, you know, and a hat that looks like Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever. This is what we do. We add things to the gospel that should never be added to the gospel. And then we've got these rules, these regulations, and we've got this little box we need to go to, and, 
And all of a sudden from there, multiplication started, but not multiplication in the way that Jesus was thinking. It was just basically church multiplication. That as people got upset with the synagogue, they went and then they did Catholicism, and then Catholicism wasn't working, and then denominations started, and all of a sudden the church did spread. And it did. We opened up churches all over the place. But the problem with this is that we came into this mindset of ours that this is the only place we meet God now. And somehow we forget about the fact that people were healed when Peter walked down the street. We forget about the fact that, that the disciples met this crippled guy at the gate called Beautiful and he was healed. We forget about the guy at the, at the pool where Jesus walked up to him and said, you know, your faith has made you well. All of a sudden we forget about these things and we think, okay, everything's got to be eternal. And so when we come into this century, all of a sudden, you know, there's, a, there's an issue we have here is that most people today believe that science wonders and miracles happen in the church building. That any form of evangelism has to happen in the church building. That any form of teaching has to happen in the church building. That any form of instruction has to happen in the church building. And all of a sudden, it's like we've been released from our responsibility of being, uh, of, of, of walking out the great commandment. Because why? Because now, now what we do is, we get 800 people in the building, we appoint one poor guy to be the pastor, and you know, he's going to take the flag for everyone else. I'm not being horrible. I'm not being horrible. You'll find me at 11 o'clock at night and say to me, can you please pray for my husband? He's not doing well. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> can you pray for him maybe? You know, I'm sleeping. <laughs> you know, like our marriage is a mess, Pastor. I'm bringing my husband to church on Sunday. Okay. <laughs> what is it? What are, what are we thinking? Do we really believe that God only abides? Yeah. In 2000, in the 90s and 2000, there was a strong movement for life churches and life groups and cells, and you all know that have been around. You know, they explode all over the place. And China, the one guy, <coughs> like 60,000 home groups and all that kind of stuff. And it was quite a challenge because it became a challenge for the pastors because all of a sudden the pastors weren't in control anymore. All of a sudden you had 15 or 20 life group leaders leading small groups. The pastors felt like they'd been isolated. And we saw how many churches closed down their life groups. Because the pastor needed this. He needed to know that the numbers that he had were good. And it's been a real challenge for me. It's been a challenge for me. God, what is it that you're saying to us in the season that we're in right now? Romans 10, Paul writes, and I'm going to I'll read it to you, and I'm going to read out the Good News Bible, um, the Good News Translation, and I'll go to the, the New King James. But Paul writes this, listen to this, Paul writes this, and I, I want you to, to think about this, because it's easy for us to say that we're saved because we know Jesus. But we get that the Word of God says that Jesus will not return until the Gospel is preached, to the ends of the earth. So if anybody is delaying the coming of Jesus, it's not the ANC, it's not the DP, alright? It's not, it's not anybody else, it's not the satanic movement. It, the word of God says that he is not returning because we, we have not taken the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so when we start to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, then Christ will return. 
Now, now you might say, oh, but you know, I, listen, I was eight years old, and people were preaching by the time you know Jesus like was going to happen the next day. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? I mean, I watched videos I left behind. I believe something. I repented. I confessed my sins, sackcloth and ashes, baptized myself in the bath every now and again. You know, I was terrified of this thing because it was going to happen now. Christ will not return until the gospel has reached the ends of the earth. And I rode from here 170 kilometers inland and I found families that have not heard the gospel of Jesus. How is that possible? How is that possible? And we want Christ to return. So Paul writes in 10, 10, um, Romans 10, and he makes this statement, he says, My friends, I wish with all my heart that my own people might be saved. And I know he's speaking about the Jewish people here, but I want you to listen and take this to heart as a personal message this morning. Because he says, he says there, my friends, how I wish with all of my heart that my own people might be saved. And I thought about that and I thought, how many of us have a desire, have a desire to see our own people saved? How many of you have got loved ones that don't do church? How many of you have got parents that don't attend church that don't believe in Jesus? How many of you have got friends that don't believe in Jesus? You see, if you have not got a heart for God, you're not going to have a heart for people. And you don't understand this precious gift that God has given you and this precious gift that God has given me. He carries on, he says, how I pray to God for them. I can assure you that they are deeply devoted to God, but the devotion is not based on true knowledge. Listen to that. That's not based on true knowledge. What is he saying? He said, you've got to be very careful. I'm praying for their salvation and for many of us. But often we don't understand that there's something called religion and there's something called relation. You see, now not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, the word says we'll enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone that goes to church is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of God simply says, no man comes unto the Father but through the Son. It's not good enough. I remember when I was 16 and people say, well, you're Christian. And I'd say things like, yeah, I believe in God. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I believe there's a God. And how many of my friends and my family members, you know, yes, yes, we believe there's a God. But that's not enough. It's not being enough to sit at home your whole life, never attend church, never fellowship, never read your word, never pray, except in a time of need. And we stated that they're okay. Well, I want to say something to you. Maybe they're not okay. And maybe they're not okay because I want to know, have you spoken to them? Have you looked them in the eye and said to them this? Have you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? And if you have, what are you doing with that gift? No, but we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to offend anybody. Let me tell you something. You know who's going to be offended when you don't? The guy that's left behind. He's going to be offended because you had every opportunity to tell him about Jesus. To tell him about what God is doing in his life. The word carries on here and it says, They are deeply devoted to God, but their devotion is based not to knowledge. They have not known the way in which God puts people right with himself. Instead, they have tried to set up their own ways and so they didn't, and, 
and they did not submit themselves to God in way of putting people right. Listen to that. I'm reading it again. He says, they have not known the way in which God has put people right. How? Jesus, alright? And instead they have tried to set up their own ways and so they did not submit themselves to God's way of putting people right. Let me tell you something. The biggest problem in church today is church. We've got family rules and regulations and this, and you're going to do a 10-point plan to get baptized. And, you know, people say to me, you know, uh, do I need to do a course to get baptized? No, no, no. You just say the sinner's prayer, I'm going to baptize you. I, I'm going to tell you what it's about and I'm going to explain it to you. But I tell you, you can straighten in that water. I can't wait five weeks for you to attend a course. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's not the unique that they have to fill up and say, I need to be baptized. Philip said, you know, well, according to, you know, my denomination, they have to do a four-week course, come back next week, we'll find some water, we'll baptize you. <laughs> We've got too much rules and regulations. And all the rules and regulations we have take away from Jesus. We take away from Jesus. You see, we've got to understand, you know, and we all remember this, uh, who remembers this name? Heinrich Himmler. Heinrich Himmler was in the Third Reich. He was Hitler, one of Hitler's top, top generals at the time. And his assistant writes a story. And his assistant says that what Heinrich Himmler did was this. That he took the New Testament and he cut out every, every red writing that Jesus spoke. Only what Jesus spoke, not the miracles and the signs and the wonders. He cut out simply the things that Jesus said, the Beatitudes. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. He cut it out and he was going to publish a new Bible for the alien race. That, him, that Heinrich Himmler turned around and he said, Jesus is the most moral man that has ever lived in the world. Now that sounds crazy for a Nazi party general to be cutting out pieces of the scripture and making a Bible that suits himself. The problem is though that we think that that's quite a stupid thing to do. But let me tell you something, every single one of us are doing it. There are cults that are forming that are taking four verses out of a Bible and starting a denomination. Let me tell you something. If, if everything from Romans all the way to Genesis doesn't count, I don't know why God waits for so many trees. <laughs> why would God give us the word if He only wants us to read five verses? You know, what, how is it possible that you and I can cut and paste out of the Bible things that we like? Things that comfort us, things that make our denomination look good, things that make our marriage look good, things that make our business look good. It's very quickly to cut things out and not read the whole thing in context. And he turns around and says, this is the problem that I have with people. Paul writes and he says, everyone is making their own rules and regulations and they only want to believe what they want to believe. And how many of us are doing that today? How many of us are quoting a little scripture, but we don't read the verse before, we don't read the verse after, because we only dig that little thing in the red. Yeah. Yeah. And the more and more the church is doing that, the more and more we see this happening in the world around us. And please, I'm not criticizing anybody. Don't get me. I'm not really not criticizing anybody this morning. But I'm just saying to you, it's a fact, and we all know it. We all know it. Right, this, this, is not, this is not revelation to you guys. Okay. He carries on and he says, they have not known the way in which God has put people right on the read again. And instead they have tried to set up their own ways and set their own and submitted to God's way of putting things right. For Christ has brought the law to an end that everyone believes is put right with God. He carries on verse 5 and he says, and Moses wrote about this thing. 
put right with God by obeying the law. Whosoever obeys the commands of the law will live. But the scripture says about being put right with God through faith is this. You are not to ask yourself who will go to the heavens to bring Christ down or nor will you ask who will go down to the earth to bring Christ up from there. What he says is that God's message is near you on your lips and in your heart. You see, the word of God says simple thing. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what the word says. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, the, and Paul writes to him, he said, guys, you know, there's not gonna, we're not going to do anything to get God to come down. And we're not going to do anything to resurrect him from the thing. He says, you've got to understand that everything that you desire, anything that you need, the very strength and the salvation and, the, and everything that you desire is already in you. He says, Christ, the hope of glory, is in you. Christ, the hope of glory, is in you. You don't have to make 5,000 rituals and read 47,000 scriptures for God to come near you. God is near you. He says, He is actually in you, in your heart. So that when you speak to God, you share that moment right there. He says, what is this, what, what, what is, sorry, what is, what it says is this, God's message is near you. On your lips and on your heart. That is the message of faith that we preach. And if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by our faith that we are put right with God. Listen to this. It is by our faith that we are put right with God. Alright? And it's by our confession that we are saved. The scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. This includes everything because there is no difference between Jew or Gentile and the same of the Lord and all rich and best who call upon him. Now, and I want to touch on that this morning because the word of God very clearly says in the scripture as we read it there, he says that your confession is important. Your confession of who you are is important. How many of you are able to give a testimony this week of how good God has been to you? How many of you this week have said, man, God, you've just been unbelievable. You see, the problem is, is that we think that, that we need these big words and these big exaggerations and we need all these, these crazy methods to preach the gospel. But I re realized this week one thing that's very simple, that if people see who we are in our lifestyles, people will convert to who we believe in. You see, it's one thing to confess one thing. There was an old song, I think DC Talk, Christian Band wrote, and it said this. A simple thing is, we confess him with our mouth, but deny him with our lifestyle. That we confess him with our mouth, but we deny him with our lifestyle, the way we live. We cannot be good Christians at Sunday on church and not express the love of God during the week. You see, when we speak about evangelism and all these kinds of things, you know, we think it's some guy with a Bible standing with a cross at the robot telling you turn or burn. That's what we think. I mean, you guys know we preach all that message. And yet the most effective way of telling people about Jesus is they've seen Christ in you, the hope of glory. That your yes is yes and your no is no. You know why? Because every time something like that happens, people say to you, what is it about you that is different? What is it about you that makes you happy all the time? I wrote past Mrs. Purden, she didn't even know on Friday, 
at about uh, 3 o'clock and she was coming up circular drive, up a traffic circle, all I could see was this in the car. <laughs> I said, she's about chip burning, she's probably having a worship thing or she's speaking in tongues, I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but who we are speaks so much louder than what we say. You know, words don't carry much weight, but yet words can make us make really bad, really stupid decisions at the end of the day. But it's about our confession in Christ. You know, if you and I are going to get this world saved, you know, we're going to do something. Because you know, what scares me at the end of the day is this, like I said to you, that they're, they're, they're right around our doorstep, you know, 170 kilometers from here. There's people that don't know Jesus at all. And how crazy is that, that we, we don't understand this kind of stuff. You know, we've got people right next door to us that probably don't know Jesus. But we always want to go to the ends of the earth, you know? You're like, I'm going to become a mission, we're going to Mauritius. Okay, cool. <laughs> Mauritius needs Jesus, yes. <coughs> I've got to ask you. I've got to ask you this morning. What does your confession look like? What does your confession in Christ look like? What does your lifestyle look like? Do people want more of, of what they see in you? It's great to be saved. But saved isn't a selfish thing. Saved, saved is an inclusive thing. That means that I want to take everyone that I possibly can with me. And let me tell you something, church. If the church does not wake up, if the church does not get out of this thing, do you know what I mean? If, you, if the church does not get out of this thing of we only need to meet here and this is the only place where God is, I promise you, we will see our churches empty up little bit by little bit by little bit. <coughs> you see, sometimes you think we need to do all the big stuff. Sometimes maybe just your neighbor that needs a little bit of banana for his kid. Sometimes just an old lady across the road that just needs a smile from you. That just needs a hug. Sometimes a work colleague that is going through some tough stuff. And all they need is an ear to listen. And some advice. Christianity is the most exciting life that you will ever live. But Christianity is also the most simplest life that you will ever live. Think about it. It is simple. Why do we make it so complicated? It's simple. Jesus died because there was no ways that, we, that, that man could reconcile with God at all. There was no ways. We were damned to, to hell. We were going to burn. That was it. And Jesus made a way. Simple. He came down to earth. He died on the cross of Calvary. He says, you know what? My death is now reconnected you with God. And that's where we are. And if you believe that I did that for you, then you say you'll be with my Father one day in heaven. It's not that difficult. You know, that's what happened. But then he says, so what are you going to do with this gift that I gave you? You see, that's the question. What do we do with the gift of salvation that God has given us? What do we do with the things that God has, has laid on our heart? In verse 40 says, how then shall they call on him in whom they do not believe? Listen to this verse 14 in the New King James. How then shall they call on him in him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. You're the preachers. You're the preachers. Not me, I've got a job, I'm the pastor. You're the preachers. And so Paul asked the simple question. 
How is your brother going to get saved if you don't do it? Because they can continue to do what they do if you don't do something about it. And I think there's a lot of us that need to do something about our loved ones around us. Our families around us. I mean, I've, I've, I've had some challenging people in my life. And um, I've got this, this, um, this elderly gentleman that, uh, that absolutely hates me, hates me, hates me with a passion. Um, we, actually, we actually call him Lucifer for short. Um, but um, he, he, just, he just hates me. Just, he just ever, since, ever since we've met, he's just, he just hated me. There's, there's absolutely nothing I can do. I can be nice, I can take him flowers, I can do whatever. He just, he just hates me. Like, doesn't like me, not at all. Like, doesn't matter what I do. You know? And I was thinking about this word this last week, meaning I had a little bit of altercation. And so I stuck to that word of God says, whatever you curse, I will curse, and whatever you bless, I will bless. I'm thinking, I'm going to curse this guy now. I'm going to burn his house down. But then I remember the scripture that the word of God says, remember, I deserve curse for return to the sender. I'm thinking, oh, okay, wait a minute. I'm joking. But, but, but I thought about this week, and I was so angry. I was so angry. You know when we're angry, we, we tend to, to, to try and get a little bit of revenge in our heart? Hey? Like, like, I'm going to eat his house. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my dog stuff over the wall. You know, I'm going to get nasty now. And in that minute that I'm so angry, and I'm at home, God says to me, so why don't you pray for the man? Why don't you pray for the man? I'm like, what? Do you know what he did to me? And in that moment, Jesus said this to me. Do you know what they did to me? So I'm praying for you. I don't call him that anymore. Okay. I call him blessed now. Yeah, Whether he likes or not, I call him blessed. Whether he smiles or not, I call him blessed. Because the word says that I have the ability to bless him because I don't think a curse is something he deserves. You know what? He's in his 80s. I might be the only Bible that God reads. I might be the only person that he sees Jesus in. And I promise you that if I don't change my attitude, God's going to ask me about this when I get up there. You know something, man? Sometimes when we reach the world, when the person that God really wants us to touch is right next door. God is good. Amen. God is good. It's there.